White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 783. You're listening to the AU Wishbone, almost credible sports discussion on the White Rocket Entertainment Network. The Auburn crowd can smell it. They can taste it. They can almost see Minneapolis. I'm not even hungry and I can taste it. The Auburn Tigers, for the first time ever, are going to the Final Four. Hello and welcome to the AU Wishbone, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment and by people like you. Hey, it's the old-time, old-fashioned intro, John. People like you, the Auburn family, the AU Wishbone family, our very own Patreon.com family. And we appreciate you guys. I'm Van Allen Plexio, and I'm joined as always by my co-host. I'm John Ringer. John, I just figured you you reminded me just moments ago that we that we need to mention the passing of an Auburn great. And so I figure we'll kind of start off with that, right? Let's 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 be serious here for just a minute before we get all wacky as usual, because we've lost a member of the Auburn family, a dear member, Terry Beasley. Yes, a little, uh, one of the best players ever to suit up for Auburn football. A little bit before our time in terms of someone that we could see playing and remember, but someone who put his name all over the record books and still holds all the receiving records for the university. That's amazing. Who, and who played at a time when it wasn't a big passing and receiving. Time, so. Even more amazing. Yeah, and that's, it's crazy. In an era of almost exclusively running, he owns the receiving records that still have not been passed by, I mean, all the, all the, great, all the great wide receivers that we've had come through. And none of them were ever able to catch most of his records. That's really mind blowing. And uh, one of and he's the only. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's the only player to have his number retired that did not win the Heisman Trophy. That's right. There are only three players, I think, at Auburn who've had the number retired. I think, I think it's seven, three. And the seven, other two seven, eighty-eight, and thirty-four. Has, has two yeah. been retired? Did they retire Cam? Yeah, I don't believe so. Not yet. I'm sure, the day is coming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they retired seven and eighty-eight at the same time, if I remember correctly, when he when they yes. won the Heisman. Yeah. So, yeah, and he had and he and he got Heisman votes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, didn't they graduate the same year? I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think he took Heisman votes away from Sullivan. <laughs> Good grief! And you know that was in the year that I think it was Ed Marinero that was the competition. The, he was like at Cornell or something, and later on Hill Street Blues as as uh, one of the detectives, one of the cops. That's just incredible, though, that he set those records back in, like, 69, 70, 71, I guess it was. Um, it's amazing. Just catching all that, yeah. And, of course, he had issues in later life. And, I mean, playing football back then, you know, you didn't have quite the same protections you do now. I mean, how, I, it would be interesting, how many times was he targeted using today's rules? How many players probably would have been ejected from games if they'd used the rules? I'm just guessing, right? I imagine they probably targeted him quite many, a lot. Many. Yeah. And he just got up and well, kept you, going. I mean, we're old enough to remember what NFL and college football were like 20 years ago. Yeah. When a receiver went across the middle and caught a pass, oh. they often got annihilated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. And it, ESPN used to run highlight clips of big mm. hits on receivers and stuff. 
cheer. Yeah, to celebrate it, right? Not to discourage mm-hmm. it. It's, we've really come a long way in that, and something. But, and I mean, and, and and for every time that somebody regrets and misses those days, I mean, Terry Beasley is a great sort of a he. He's emblematic of why changes had to be made because it did damage to him, you know, because he played so hard and so reckless and fearless and did, you know, he just. He, as they say now, he balled out, you know, every game, and it, it takes a toll. It did. It does take a toll, and we have to recognize that toll on the people yeah. who played then and the you know the people who played since then and before that. And that's part of this game that we love and enjoy is the toll it takes on the human beings who do it. Yeah. This is, this. All right. So we, we hail and salute you, uh, Terry Beasley, great wide receiver, great human being uh, of, the, of the end of the – the, sort of toward the end of the Shug Jordan era, uh, doing something that hardly anybody was really doing successfully back then, catching balls all over the field, setting records, just really, and being a great human being. That's amazing. All right. Um, well, now, as we move into the program, I guess I have to uh, hit the old... So it's the Auburn Fun Meter, and this is our weekly look at how much fun it is to be an Auburn fan. Of course, it wasn't much fun to find out about Terry Beasley, um, but there have been, and and we've had a couple other things that were obviously in the in the realm of sports that haven't been very cool, like the uh, the player that went to Central Florida, the recruit that went to Central Florida, about which we'll probably say more in a little bit. But there have also been a couple of good things. So I, I don't know where where is your fun meter at this week, John? I really, I'm going to put the Terry Beasley news aside. Yeah, okay? we kind of have to do that. Yeah, um, I really, really enjoyed the last two basketball games. Really enjoyed mm. the Ole Miss game. So, uh, and there's been some other stuff. Defensive line coach left. We're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So I'm about a seven. Yeah, I was going to say seven. That's about right. I know it, it. I didn't enjoy that Ole Miss game for a while, but it it definitely got better. It turned. It did take a turn. It took a sudden turn. So we're going to get to that in just a little bit here. So, And, in fact, uh, our first topic up this episode is basketball. And, I mean, you know, they always say when you're struggling in sports, take a quick dose of Vanderbilt. It's good for what ails you. <laughs> and it was certainly the kickstart that we needed It'll to get things. you right up. Oh, yeah, man. And uh, Feel better it, about yourself before you know it. Oh, absolutely. So eighty-one to fifty-four, pretty much shellacked Vandy, and um, again, this was another. This was another one of those games where, in the first half, I mean, I, I I need to say this for both games tonight and for the whole season so far. And we've talked about this. This team does. I mean, Janai Broom is playing like an All SEC player, and that's great. But this team does not have. You know, a Michael Jordan, a, a, somebody that can go out there and just light up the scoreboard. And yeah. so the way this team wins is to be competitive with you until you run out of competitiveness and then we keep going, right? That's we right. just send wave after wave of pretty good at you. And if you start out really good, you probably have the lead. But then at some point, you drop down to pretty good and we're, we're hanging there even with you. And then at some point in the game, you drop below pretty good and then that's where we got you, right? And, and so, then we yeah. pull ahead and yep. then we pull in the anaconda. That's right. And we tighten tighten up on you and you can't get back because we're still at full energy and your guys are all drained and exhausted at that that's point. That's it. And in particular the last couple of games, and I think especially Ole Miss as we're gonna say, um, 
Bruce was very careful to make sure that some of his key players were rested and ready in the last five minutes, mm-hmm. and they came out on fire again. That's really, really good. Um, I did see that um, – because I noted KD didn't play as much this week, and they said he had strep throat. Mm-hmm. Man, I've had somebody that before. Else did, somebody else had the flu. Too, yeah, so. but having yeah. strep is a bear, man. It is hard to get rid of when you get it. You got to like take all that medicine, which makes you kind of sick. At least me, and then you got to, you know, make sure that whatever was, you know, getting you germs, you got to get rid of out of your environment. And if you if you got a girlfriend or whatever, you got to make sure you're not kissing them too much while you're, you're going to give it to them and they're going to give it back to you. You know, it's it's tricky, 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 tricky. Um, so, yeah, Denver Jones. What's up with Indiana, with Colorado Jones, man? He, he had a much more aggressive game, came out being aggressive against Vanderbilt, had 19 points, and that was big. Like, we needed – we talked about this last week. We needed somebody else to step forward yeah. on the scoring side. And he did that, and he's another guy that can be a, a you know, a more effective scorer, and I think it helped. And then Jalen Williams returned to form as well, scoring 21 points against Vanderbilt. Madam Webb is unique from... Oops, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. I, well, before we change the subject... Colorado Jones, baby. Colorado Jones. There we go. John couldn't hear. I, for whatever reason, some of my audio things John can hear and some he can't. Thank goodness you can hear the soundboard anyway. But uh, I was just playing the Indiana thank Jones Thank goodness thing. I can hear the soundboard. Yeah, thank goodness. I know you, you, <laughs> you, you get down and thank the Lord every night that you can hear the soundboard. Oh, man. Lord wills it. That's right. God wills it. God. John can hear the, the soundboard because... God wills it! Um... But no, I was just playing a little Colorado Jones theme song there. But yeah, 19 points. Where'd that come from? I mean, again, he can be a big-time scorer. At you know, Where he came from, he led that conference in scoring. Yeah. He scored like 22 points a game yeah. for the season at his previous stop. So he can score inside and outside. He's being more aggressive going to the basket, and I like that. Um and finishing, and then, but then also when he, you know, when we spread the court and the ball comes to him, he's being a little more aggressive in shooting. And I think, you know, he he can score and he can take the load off some other players, and he has the ability to do it. And and he's, you know, I think the the Vanderbilt game was a good confidence boost for him. Yeah, yeah. So, I I mean, I would love to see players like him start stepping up and scoring when they shut down other our our noted scores. You know, it's nowhere to go mm-hmm. but up for those guys. Yeah. Uh, Jalen, after having a couple of struggle games, comes back with 21. I think he did pretty well against Ole Miss as well. And then, of course, Janai has been, I mean, he's he's somebody that the, the, one of the announcers called him a double-double machine, and he, that's pretty much what he does, right? He's going to get you rebounds. He's going to get those inside the, the arc, inside the paint shots. And then he's also, of course, he's also going to roll a couple off the rim. And then he's darned if he isn't going to knock down a three-pointer every other game. And and he's shooting at a higher clip than a bunch of them. I since we're on the Janai Broom subject, I'm going to give you some stats. Are you ready? I'm glad yeah, you're sitting now for this. Fire it up. Let's do it. All right. He's currently leading the SEC in a bunch of stats, oh boy, including rebound, funny. block percentage, two point field goals, plus minus, which is you know when you're on the court, your team is outscoring the other team. So like 
the kind of the net of that versus the time. Oh, that's interesting. And then this is a stat that uh, Josh Dub tweeted out today. Here is a list of players in the history of college basketball who have at least 1,750 career points, 300 blocks, 150 assists, and 1,000 rebounds. Okay? Here's, yeah. here's the whole list. Yeah. Tim Duncan, Wake Forest. Ralph Sampson, Virginia. Shaquille O'Neal, LSU. Purvis Ellison, Louisville. Keith Lee, Memphis. Derek Coleman, Syracuse. Jani Broom. Wow. The only two players to do it in under 4,000 minutes of gameplay are Shaquille O'Neal and Jani Broom. Good Lord. So for our younger listeners, like Purvis Ellison was the MVP of the Final Four led Louisville to a national title. The year they beat Derek us in the Coleman was an All-American at Syracuse, yeah. was MVP. Of, you know, Ralph Sampson was the number one pick in the draft. Unbelievable. Wait, Tim Duncan was the number one pick in the draft. That's a pretty... Yeah. Good group to be in. That's a small. That's a really small group. A very mm-hmm. intimate group. And I, it's not, there's a lot of guys oh. who have a lot of points and a lot of rebounds. Some of it is the assists, mm-hmm. and I think we saw that particularly in the in the Ole Miss game. He's a really good passer for a big man. Many big men aren't mm-hmm. good passers at all, and he can do it. He can hit the open guy and get them good shots, and he is a great great player and i think he's underrated i think he's should be an all sec player maybe the sec player of the year i think he should be an all-american right now yeah well here's here's janai broom's message to the to the critics and the and the journalists whether you like it or not learn to love it because it's the best thing going today Woo! that's That's it. it yes and I mean, you know, the other players are looking at him like, "What are you, some kind of doomsday machine, boy?" And he's like, "Yes." And as a matter of fact, yes, as I a, am. As a matter of fact, yes, that's right. Wow. All right. Well, that that is something, and I did not realize that. But I guess he he accumulated a lot of that at was it Moorhead State, mm-hmm. and then he's done quite a bit of it at Auburn now the last two years. So. All right. Well, dang. He fills up the box score. And he's got he's got games yet to play. He's not done. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So we got healthy against Vanderbilt. And uh, then we actually went on the road for the third time in four games to play what would be a quad one win if we were able to pull it off at Oxford. And give I, I tell you what, give Ole Miss credit. Their fans, I mean, they came out like it was an Auburn home game, you know, for Ole Miss. Like, you know, like they like Auburn fans. That's a high compliment to pay you, Ole Miss fans, that you look like Auburn fans. They they definitely showed up in ways that it's noticeable they had not showed up before. Yeah. Right. They had been kind of lackluster, I think, fan support before, but this team is good. I think that Ole Miss team is not bad and i think that they had not won they had not lost a game at home no so it was a big game with auburn coming in yeah and yeah and they thought they were revenge go- game. they knew they were going to win they had circled it they were it was there yeah it was it was it was flan's revenge it's not like a it's like an 80s atari video game flan's revenge and uh you had to run around a castle and find a key and it turns into a basketball or some kind of unfortunate food outbreak <laughs> Kind of like Montezuma's Revenge, but only with dessert. That's it. Ah. Uh, but, yeah, they knew they were going to win that. They just knew. They'd already chalked that win up on their boards, right? They knew 
they were going to win. And right. and it and for a while it looked like they were right. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not looking good. But uh, we turned from. I I know I don't think we ever went fourteen down though. It was really maybe thirteen down at one point. But to fourteen up is like a twenty-seven point swing. That's incredible. What I mean from from twenty thousand feet. What did we do to turn that game around? Then we can get down into the nitty gritty of it. At the at the super high level, I think some of it was. Ole Miss played a little bit above their heads in the first half. We didn't play yeah. great defense. We had a few turnovers that gave them some easy baskets, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So there was probably six or eight points at least that were Auburn turnovers giving them buckets. We played good defense but not great defense in the first half, and mm-hmm. they just made some really tough shots. They, they made a lot of three-pointers where they had Auburn players were in good defensive position in their face. And they and just made, shot right over us and made shot it. Shot it and made it anyway. So yep. at some point, you got to tip your cap to them, mm. but it was also not a sustainable yeah. way of scoring. They weren't getting anything inside. They were, you know, in this. And then in this second half, Auburn came out and we didn't turn the ball over. We played incredible offensive ball in the second half, and we'll talk about that. And we played better defense, and they did not make those shots they were making in the first half. Uh, Yeah, that definitely. I mean, they didn't score nearly as... We scored like, what, 56? Yes. In fact, yeah, you had a note here. We scored 56 points in the second half. We scored on 79% of our possessions. That's got to be a season high. Well... So there's some there's some advanced data about like how good an offensive basketball game is, and those stats only go back to 1999. And mm. this is the best offensive road game Auburn basketball has had since at least 1999, wow. maybe ever. Yeah, like it's that good an offensive performance. Wow. Yeah, I can't. And I mean, and the funny thing is, in the first half, it didn't bode like this was going to happen at all. We were even doing our new thing that go ahead and add this to your bingo, or I guess Boris uh, bingo card, which is um, we had, by the way, we appreciate uh, who, who sent that in. Was that Joel? That's oh, no, I got it. I got it. All so right. We're going to talk about that. We had the bingo card printed out and we had it out for the game against uh, Ole Miss. But go ahead and add one on there, which is. The chucking the ball the length of the court for a fast break and just sailing it right over the head of the Auburn player into the stands. That's they've been doing that more this season than in every season under Bruce put together before. And I don't understand quite why we're throwing these passes up into the rafters, but they've done it. We've you know what this team is as as good as this team is usually at not turning the ball over. When they get sloppy, and they did a, they did the first half against Ole Miss, they mm-hmm. missed, they were sloppy. They either overthrow like that, they throw like an eighty yard bomb on a fifty yard field, or they'll make a lazy side pass yes. that gets picked yep. off. Those lazy passes near the top of the key kill me every time. Oh, the, the defense is waiting on it, and then it's a layup, and so. you know it's coming. Or Oh, here's a new one. Was this? This may have been the Vanderbilt game. Trey Donaldson, unforced error number one, number two, and number three. He walked back over the time over the half court line yeah. twice, and then on the third time he turned the ball over. Yes. How do you? I mean, I've been here praising him for going out at one o'clock in the morning and and shooting and and you know pretend running the offense and everything. I'm glad you're working on your 
high-end skills tray, but let's not forget the fundamentals, brother, okay? Let's don't forget the, you don't walk backwards over the timeline, my man. No, 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 and don't turn it over, so. Oh, boy, that, I was losing it. At least, it, I think that was the Vanderbilt game, right? If that had been against Ole Miss, we'd have been in yeah. deep trouble. That's right. And if, it's, and, if, and, if it's, and if they do it on this coming Wednesday, mm-hmm. we're going to be in deep trouble. So, yeah, Ole Miss had not lost a game at home. That was sweet. They were sure they were going to win. That was sweet. Um, we looked like we were getting blown out in the first half, and we came back and killed them. That was sweet. Talk about halftime. So at halftime, the you know Pearl went in and said something, and then the he and the other coaches left, and the players had their own discussion. Mm-hmm. Chad Baker, Mazzara led it, and then Broom and some other guys talked, and they basically said, "Hey, this is what we want to do. You know, this is how we want to do it, and this is what you know we can do better than this. We know we can play better than that." And it wasn't a pointing a finger thing. It was everybody together thing. And they it led to them coming out in the second half and playing that kind of offensive basketball. To the point that Ron Slay in the studio like stood yeah. up and applauded. He was impressed by that. And he's not even an Auburn guy. It wasn't Damian Fishback, who you'd expect. Yes. It, was, it was Ron Slay. Um, and here's the other thing that I thought was remarkable. It wasn't one of our old-time dudes. It was a guy that's been on the team half a season. It really shows how they're all sort of taking responsibility and taking ownership and stepping forward. I, I tell you what, every game just about, I my estimation of Chad Baker Mazzara goes a little higher. Yeah. He's he is the straw that. Well, now if all right, Broom is the straw <laughs> that stirs the drink, but he's the swizzle stick or something. You know, I don't know what he is, but he he's important to the mix. He is, he is that play in the, at the end of the game. The he X Factor. He is the X Factor. He's yeah. the X Factor. When he drove and dunked it along the baseline was oh. Mm, oh. oh it made me so happy. I mean, by his play, he's he's doing stuff and mentally and vocally yes. he's doing and stuff. He, I think yeah, I think he picks the rest of the team up in a way that yes. what he does in the court. Well, kind of the same way that K D does, but with a little more of an upside. They both are pretty good three point shooters. Now, here's the funny thing that K D gets a lot of gruff for missing three pointers, but he's been making them better this year. Yes. And 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 I just love that he's the most fearless player on there. It's like if the ball goes to him, I'm like, it's going up. <laughs> he's gonna do something. It may be a three, it may be he's gonna drive and kamikaze his way through four big guys, but he by golly, he's gonna try. And I could That's use right. that for more of them. You know? I mean, it doesn't have to just be him. Uh, no, let's he, see. I, I, can I, I say this about KD at the end of the game, though, that I just, you know, I love him. I love his energy. I love the way he plays defense. We came down at the end of the game. We were up by more than 10 points. Oh. We had the ball. There was less than a minute left. And we crossed half court. And he's turned around yelling at the Ole Miss students. Okay? Oh, he's turned around away from the – from the basket, yelling at the old Miss students over here, and Jalen Williams is like, "Hey, hey, over here, we got the ball at this end of the court. Come help us, okay?" And then, so KD turns oh, no. around, Auburn shoots the ball and misses, and that is the play where KD charges to the rim and follows it with the dunk and gets the technical oh, foul. Spectacular, yeah, and he took that technical foul. <laughs> he didn't have a problem with it. That was so good. He, I know people. I know that some people think he's over the top and, and does more harm than good and whatever. But I'm just telling you, this team. If he team, was on another team, I would hate him. Oh, that's the, oh, that's like the thing. Love him. You, you've got to have somebody like that. I mean, just he, he's, he's, the, he's the, um, 
the defibrillator paddles, when they're falling asleep and putting us to sleep, he comes out there and clear, you know, man, come on. And sometimes it does hurt you when you do that, but it's got to, you got to have it. So uh, best game of the season said Bruce Pearl. And I didn't know this team had that in them. Well, I like that. I think I think they showed something in that second half. It was a ceiling that Bruce wasn't sure they had. So I think that that Bruce and the rest of us, either consciously or unconsciously, was afraid that the way we played at Alabama and at Mississippi State was the ceiling. And if it was, then we're not gonna we're not gonna win more than a game in the SEC tournament, and we're not gonna win more than a game in the NCAA tournament, right? But if the second half at Ole Miss is more like what we're able to achieve when we need to, that does raise the ceiling, right? Yes. That's the kind of performance where you come out in the second round of the NCAA tournament and you face, you know, you're not facing a 13 seed now. You're facing like a five, right? Something like mm-hmm. that. And if you can come out in the in the second round against a four or five, and you can play like that, you can get to the Sweet Sixteen. Yes, you can. I wasn't sure this was a team that could get to the Sweet Sixteen, but I think if they can play like that, they could. Maybe maybe beyond that, depending on the draw. But I'm just saying, I feel like that's the you know having watched college basketball these years, and I think you'll probably agree with me. There's there's the level of team that can't get the NCAA tournament. Then there's the level of team that gets to the first round and loses, but that's usually not an SEC team, right? Because usually an SEC team is going to get a mid-major that they can beat in the first round, right? You're going to get a St. Bonaventure or a Winthrop or something, and you and you win the first round. When you get to the second round is when you get a Miami, an Oregon, a Washington, an Indiana, a Wisconsin, something like a Purdue, something like that. That's when you find out who you are, right? If you go out in the round of 32, then you were a pretty good SEC team. But if you can win the round of 32, to me that, when you get to the Sweet 16, you've beaten a legitimate team that's about like you are. Maybe better. If you yeah. beat them and get in the Sweet 16, now it's for real. Now it's on, right? The The Final Four team in 19, they got past New Mexico State or whatever in the first round in, and, and struggled with them more than most Auburn teams struggle in the first round. But yet when they, when they went up against, I guess it was Kansas in the second round or North Carolina, I always forget, North Carolina, Kansas, it's the same Kansas thing. Kansas first, I think. Kansas, right? That was the game where you knew they were special. Right, you didn't think they were special, almost losing to New Mexico State, but when they crushed Kansas in that second round, that was when you said, "Now we got something." Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to see from this team. I want to see them get in the NCAA tournament, beat Winthrop in the first round, and then get a Big Ten or an ACC team, and let's get it on. Let's see what we got. That's what I want to see. I like it. I like it. All right, what have we not covered in the basketball? I think it's time to start talking about the, you mentioned it, the schedule for the week. Wednesday, February 7th, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. No, no, Wednesday, Wednesday, no, it's in Auburn, that's right. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. In the Nev, in the Nev, in the Peacock. Ooh, in the big Peacock Arena. Um, Alabama, this is a team that we came close to catching in Tuscaloosa, maybe should have. Building. 
we've we've obviously learned a few things, grown up a little bit since that game, maybe just a couple of weeks ago, and I think. Uh, and we know that we this team, this Auburn team, plays better at home, shoots yes. better at home. Oh yeah, we shot the ball poorly in that game. Tuscaloosa had turned it over oh, a terrible, lot. Terrible. We turn it over less. We shoot a little better. Play good defense. We're gonna be in this game at the end. Don't put. Leor out there on Sears for like extended time. <laughs> no, that would be bad. No. Do not do that. I think that, we've Bruce. learned the lesson on that. I hope we have. Leor's fine. He has his place. He has his role. It is not defending Sears. No. Okay. If if, if <laughs> there's a there's a joke in there somewhere. I'm not smart enough to come up with that. If he's if Sears is out there, he is not Kmart. Okay. He he is not Walmart. He is not going to outdo Sears. Um, you got to um, drive. You got to drive Sears to bankruptcy some other way. Take away their assets. Get that Christmas catalog. Yeah, um, get that, that Christmas catalog away, baby. That one of uh, Alabama's big men has been, I don't know, suspended away from the team. Something killed somebody. And, you know, Too not soon. that we know of. And uh, if he doesn't play, I think there's going to be a bigger advantage for Broom. Because it's a guy that did play in the first matchup and played oh. some good defense, so I think right. this is going to be something to watch in this matchup Wednesday. I hope so. That sounds now good. again. They'll probably reinstate this guy for this game. Uh, well, it's not Georgia. That's Georgia's maneuver. The Georgia maneuver <laughs> well, the is miraculous suspend- healing. Is the the miraculous Georgia. healing and the coming back from suspension. Yeah, that's famous. So, so Auburn's focused and ready, locked in. You think we're uh, we're good to go? And then, oh my gosh, no sooner do we get through playing Alabama at home, we got to go to. The House of Horrors, where we never win. Little Swamp. Little Swampy in Gainesville. It is. and The, uh, the kiddie pool. The kiddie pool swamp. The former uh, Bruce Pearl assistant, Golden, is the coach there now. And uh, he's good. And yeah. that team's solid. And that's going to be a very tough game in a place that we have a hard time playing. Is that who we go after when Bruce retires? God forbid. I think he's on the list. I, you know, if... Uh, Listen, I hope it's twenty years and a thousand wins. Well, from yeah, now. yeah, 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 um, yeah. Of course, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm always, you know me, I'm always thinking about this because I'm terrified to go back to how we used to be, and I want to make sure we have our ducks in a row. You know, I mean, I think if we go a few more years, it's gonna. I think Pearl Junior is gonna be on the list. I'm telling you, I just the only thing I hesitate. There's two reasons I hesitate about Little Pearl. Okay, there's two things. One is. It often doesn't work out, right? Think about DePaul. Yeah. They had that same yeah, coach yeah. forever. The sun came in was terrible. I, didn't, didn't UAB with Bartow Jr. do the same thing? I think it didn't work I think out. So, uh, so it, it doesn't always work out. That doesn't mean it'll happen again. He could be great. That's fine. But I'm just saying that concerns me. And the other is that he's very reserved, right? And it's just he's kind of the opposite of Bruce's personality. Of course, he's not the head coach, so he wouldn't be, right? So, he's not allowed to speak to the media and stuff. So we Yeah. Don't yeah. So... We'll see. I know that's a long thing to off in the future to worry about. Hopefully, but as Bruce said, I hope I've got a. He said I've co- I've coached a lot of teams and hopefully I'll coach a few more. I'm like, amen to that. Amen, amen. to that. All right. So at Florida, we'll see how that goes. That's uh, actually 1:30 in the afternoon Central on SEC Network on Saturday. So we'll see. We'll see. Oh, oh, John. Before we do anything else. This is the Central Florida Golden Knights Report. Trovon Reed moved to Central Florida to work for Gus as defensive back coach. 
and he took one of our top commitments for 2025 with him, a safety flipped to Central Florida. Lord! This has been the Central Florida Golden Knights Report. How are you? Not great, Bob. Yeah, that's uh, that's not good. I mean, I, that's a Trovon Reed thing, though, right? That's not Augusta, well, really. No, I mean, it's, it's a, again, we loved Trevon Reed last week. Yes. Everybody's wishing him well, all that kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. And then he takes yeah. sort of good players. They're like, hey, I, I wish you well, but let's not do that. Let's not take the players, man. Come <laughs> on now. Come on, man. Um, I, 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 my understanding is our new guy we hired from LSU kind of is going to fill the role that Trovon was. And so he became superfluous, right? He became redundant to mm-hmm. our requirements, I- surplus to requirements. I also think he look. He genuinely wants to be an on the field coach. Yeah, he was Auburn had vacancies in the secondary coach. He was not offered that position. That's true. That's so true. I don't blame him for going where somewhere else where he could yeah. get a full time on the field job. But I think that we, I, 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 as good as he is, I think that this guy we've brought in that's going to be like the player personnel manager, like mm-hmm. keep track of who's available and all that kind of stuff. That's. That's very much modern college football, and apparently oh, the yeah. guy we're bringing in is like the king of it. He's the master. He's so good. Just one more, as we say, one more bullet in the gun, right? One more weapon in our arsenal that we need because we're wanting to be competitive with some mighty powerful programs, and we need every advantage we can get. So, I mean, right. I, I've told you before, I, I have utter confidence in Cohen, and I have a lot of confidence in this new guy. And I feel like I feel like we've turned turned over the staff a lot. Of course, coaches do do that. Everybody knows Saban turned his staff over completely at the first year. Um, but I feel like it's all been trading up for the most part. As long as we can get a good defensive line coach, it's all been trading up. That's right. Let's go there. Maybe hard to replace that guy one to one because he was good. Right, goes off the NFL, or he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't be going off the NFL if he wasn't really good. Yeah. But it's funny, I, I was talking to my brother about this today. Like, we, a year ago, we brought this guy in. And we we're like, I don't know, he was at Liberty. You know, is he, yeah. how good is he? And now we're, now he's leaving to get the NFL. And we're like, oh, don't go. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's how it always goes. I mean, you know, that's, uh, I mean, Kevin Steele, right, is a great example of somebody that came in. We're like, ah. And then he's like, after two years, you're like, dude, don't ever leave us. So, yeah. All right, so what are we looking at to replace Garrett as our uh, at our line? So I mean, he he was really good. He's an he was a good recruiter, and he developed players well. So it's gonna be tough. Uh, so there are some names out there. Um, uh, Nathan King said on their thing like Rodney Garner. All right, let me just ask you, John. Okay. Is it wrong of me to just kind of be done with Rodney Garner? No. I just feel like that's like you're bringing out the stew from the refrigerator for the fifth day. And I'm kind of like, ah, oh, not that stew again. Stew again? Not, not Mister D. Recruit him. Remember I that's think, his whole again, thing. Again, he's the defensive line coach at Tennessee currently. He's been at Auburn a number of times and number left times. Auburn a number of times. Georgia and everywhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and an older guy, uh, not as easy to play for too. So, right, right. Uh, tough on players. So uh, that would be interesting. And then uh, some of the other candidates are uh, Kyle Pope is a guy that was a 
you know, was a, a defensive line coach somewhere else and is now at Georgia Tech, I think is the linebackers coach. But he has a relationship with Freeze and some of these other guys. This is the guy from Silicaga, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> he is the third. No, wait. He is the fourth most famous person from Silicaga after Jim Neighbors, um, Cardwell. The moment they got hit with the meteorite. The moment they got the, Ann Hodges. Okay, fifth. <laughs> Jim Neighbors. Ann Hodges got hit by the meteor. Jason Caldwell. Jason Caldwell. And yours truly. Van Plexco. And he's fifth. There it is. Susan Martin. Dang it. Sixth. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Susan is from my hometown as well. I know three Susan Martins, but only one of them's from Silicaga. So. Okay. Uh, the other candidate, there's a guy named Vontrell King-Williams, who is currently employed by Auburn University. Mm. He's an analyst on the coaching staff and was his, his working title was like assistant defensive line coach. Okay. So he was basically Jeremy Garrett's right-hand guy. He was in and all the helping with the recruiting of all the current players and working with them on the field and what he's allowed to do. I'm, I'm using air quotes. You can't see this on because podcast <laughs> or a visual medium. Um <laughs> I can see it. He's but doing it. I can, he, I can he was. It he. I mean, he was. If you look at pictures of the defensive line players and Jeremy Garrett, a lot of times this guy's in the picture. Right. And he had been a defensive line coach in the MAC, so he has done this job at a college before. And because he's in the program and he's familiar with the players, and I think they like him, he. I think he will be an option. Um, the big thing for me is, you know, we have like four good. 2025 defensive line commitments already, and we don't want to lose those guys. So we need somebody that can both develop. Like this is one of those positions where, you know, we're not where we are with wide receiver, right? With defensive line, we need to get to that place, and we got a ways to go recruiting wise and development wise to get to where we, you know, it's our strength again. Mm-hmm. Because right now, I'd say it's the weakest position on the defense. Like we have some players, we we signed some more talented guys this year that are going to help, but we got to develop them and get them better, and they've got to develop the guys we signed last year that that played a little bit. Some of them didn't play much, so I think that's the big job. Whoever gets this job, that's the challenge. Well, I do. You have a favorite right now, or who do you think's going to get it, or what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I I I, I mean, I I get it. Roddy Garner is proven veteran. Um, and he, I had somebody even said Tracy Rocker again. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so I get who left us for an NFL job years ago. Um, mm-hmm. but I, been my, I love Tracy watch. Rocker. I think he's a great coach. My only concern would be we have a lot of talented young players on the roster and in the pipeline, and I don't want to lose anybody you know, with whoever comes in. Right. That's my concern. And, I'm, you know, we – We've seen like staff cohesion be a big point of emphasis in the off season. Got to be able to work together and, yes, and culture. Great because he had come from Liberty. He knew mm-hmm. how the head coach wanted to operate and all that kind of stuff. And so you got to get somebody in this position who can work with the other people on the staff. Yes, that, yeah, it do. It just sucked to have gotten everything down like that. Get the culture right, as they say, and then he tosses a hand grenade in as he leaves, and now we're like. Oh, man. So, well, we'll see. Um, I kind of lean in towards the analyst guy just because, like you said, it would preserve the culture a little bit. Even It's if continuity. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know. Like, can he go in the living room and, and 
yeah. you know, get close the deal. I don't know. We don't know. That. Can he develop people's skills? But I think he's, you know, they've seen him firsthand and uh, with Garrett doing the job. So it'd be interesting to see. It will. Um, DJ Durkin, our co-defensive yep, so coordinator. This news literally broke as we signed off from the podcast last week, which is, you know, situation normal. We record a weekly podcast, and this big news breaks like five minutes after we hang well, out. Well, I said on the air, didn't we just hire him? And you're like, no, 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 no. And I think well, I must have seen – Because you said you heard Sunday or whatever. Okay, maybe like, so. I don't, I don't think they've announced anything yet. Okay, I must have seen like an unofficial – I think they were all but pulling the trigger on him all along. They were just waiting to make absolutely sure about Kiffin, right? Yeah, I think they, I think they genuinely had interest in Chris Kiffin. Yeah. And I think they – Waited till he was done with the NFL playoffs and then talked to him. But I think he, you know, and I think some of the other coaches on the staff had coached with Kiffin and liked him. And I think Freeze had coached with them and liked him. And they, and I think, so I think they were really interested in him and they did want to talk to him. But I think in the end, I think he maybe wanted to stay in the NFL. I think that's the part of it, right? Yeah. So yeah. then it, then they were looking around and I think it was Durkin. I think he was the guy. I think. He's not a guy that Freeze has direct experience with, but some of the other guys on the staff do. Um, so I think that's a big piece of it. Again, I, I, he what we did not have to pay a buyout because yeah. you know, Jimbo got fired. He was available and unemployed. Um, so I, I think right. that made things easy. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're hiring a defensive coordinator at end of January, and not. Yes. Yeah, and and the well, the timing has just become very strange about a lot of this. It seemed like these these kind of things used to all happen at once at the end of the season, and now it's just all over the place. I mean, I did not. I guess I guess the Garrett leaving thing is that the NFL got to the end of the other than the Super Bowl, right? They got to the end of things, and well, people's. and they've just turned around and hired a bunch of coaches. Yeah. Yeah, in the last few weeks, so they've hired head coaches and and some mm-hmm. position coaches are moving around. So yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, so what about Durkin? We talked about him. He was um, he was briefly so, um, the head coach at Florida, oddly enough. Yeah, he was an assistant. He was a position coach under at Florida when Muschamp was the Florida head coach. And then yeah. he was defensive coordinator when Muschamp was the head coach. And then when Muschamp got fired, he was the acting head coach at Florida for, I, I don't know, a couple of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he left and was the defensive coordinator. And, and again, that Florida defense was in the you know in the top ten. Uh, the country was really good. And then he was the defensive coordinator of Michigan for a year, and they were in the top ten. And then he was hired as the head coach at Maryland from 2015 to 2018. And we'll talk about what happened there. He was fired, and then yeah. he sat out the 2019 season and consulted for the Falcons. And then he was the Old Miss defensive coordinator in 2021. And he this is interesting because he. Before this, they had attempted to have McGriff be their defensive coordinator, and it did not go well. Yeah. And so he rebuilt the Ole Miss defense and made them – they got much better from his first year to his second year. And then at A&M, he followed um, Elko, who had left to be the Duke head coach, mm-hmm. and inherited a, you know, a good defense and, and kept him in the top 15 of the country both the years he was there. So, um, it, you know – why? So we're going to talk about this for a minute. Why was there, you know, people that were upset or controversial can, about? Can I ask you this interesting thing though? This, this caught my attention. He will be Auburn's defensive coordinator, and he was at one point the head coach of Florida, and he's not the only Auburn defensive coordinator 
to be head coach at Florida. <laughs> it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because Muschamp? Yeah. That is That's, weird. That is really weird. We've had two Florida head coaches as our defensive coordinators now. That's kind of bizarre. Was Zook ever on our staff? No. No, God, no. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, and, and I was going to say the other f- famous Florida defensive coordinator was a um, uh, 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 brother of a Kentucky coach, Stoops. Stoops. But we, Stoops. we, we tried to get him. His name comes up every single time we have a vacancy, and we've never been able to get him. So, All right, so this is the deal. Durkin was the head coach at Maryland. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2018, They part of his thing was he wanted all the players on the team to be tougher he brought in his strength coach. He gave him specific instructions about pushing players to workouts, especially in the heat, making players tougher, using the heat as a something to you know to work through in, in player workouts and stuff. Uh, during one of their practices where they were all there, Jordan McNair as an offensive lineman collapsed, had heat stroke, was taken to the hospital eventually, and died of heat stroke two weeks later in the hospital. Um, the cause of death was that. So, you know, there were some initial investig- uh, investigations, and I would say investigations, I'm using the little error finger quotes again, where Maryland tried to cover itself because of, there was a bunch of institutional failures in this process of caring for McNair and the incident on the, the day it happened. Yeah. Uh, ESPN did some reporting about, you know, maybe that wasn't how everything really happened well. And then they did a second report accusing Durkin of having a toxic environment. Maryland brought him back, and then they fired him. So that's what happened. Well, um, they Maryland was sued and settled with Jordan McNair's family. But he's coached since then. That wasn't his last stop. Yes, he was hired by Lane Kiffin, who's you know hired other people that questions about them, and then he was hired by Jimbo Fisher, who has a seventy-five had a seventy-five million dollar buyout, and, and also hired Bobby Petrino. So, I mean, I, I hear you. I've heard other people say that. It's the truth. Um, I think, you know, other coaches have stood up for him and said nice things to, about him. I, and so this is the, the part I want to I say. Um, this is associated with DJ Durkin, this incident, these actions. Uh, I went back and over the last week read everything I could about this. I went back and read their ESPN reports, I read the investigation that was done by the, the athletic trainer investigators who looked at the practice and the specific events around that, all that kind of stuff. And this is, you know, DJ Durkin created the conditions where he wanted players treated tough and he wanted them out in the heat practicing and uh, not, in his mind, coddled or whatever. And so in some ways he created the conditions where Jordan McNair died, but he didn't make any on the field decisions that day that led to this player's death. Uh, this, the, you know, the strength coach and the, uh, the head, head trainer, you know, both uh, had a bunch of other stuff said about him. And the strength coach was Durkin's right-hand guy where players knew they weren't allowed to say anything about him. Um, so, if this bothers you, if you have, if you don't like me talking about this, then what I'm going to tell you is this: every time this guy's name is mentioned, every time he appears on Twitter next to a recruit, every time he appears on a football game, some opposing fan is going to say this. Yeah. And there, this guy is now employed by Auburn. So if it bothers you, then 
we should have hired somebody who doesn't have this stuff associated with it. That's kind yeah, of get, get ready because, yeah, it's not going to go away. I mean, they're, that's exactly it. They're like, yeah. we hired him, the controversy's not over. Every time this guy's on TV, some opposing fan is going to say that. So you need to prepare yourself. And so that's that's what I wanted to say about it. Well, no, and it's well said. I, it, and it's, I mean, we still deal with Bruce. I mean, every time Auburn does anything extra special on, in basketball, they, they open up on Bruce for stuff 20 years ago or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, we're just collecting coaches that it's easy to make targets. Yes. I, again, I, I'm not saying I'm against any of them. Y'all know how I feel. Then, no, no, but, no, no. But, but it I, is a I, fact. It is a fact, though, that we are making it easy on our opponents yes. to, to, to come at us. Now, hopefully we're making it hard on our opponents to beat us, but we're making it easy for them to say stuff about us. The only question is, do you mind? Does it, and I mean you in general, does it matter to you in general? Do you care? If you care, then you're probably wishing we would hire people that don't make it easy on our opponents to come at them. If you don't care, then you probably think that their abilities outweigh that, right? Yes. That what they bring to the competition, to the field of battle, is better than the cost in PR. That's it. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. That's that. That's I, mean, it. I don't know what else to say, but we'll just have to see. We'll see. So, from a, a scheme standpoint, it's very similar to Roberts. It's kind of three damn linemen, an edge rusher guy, five defensive backs, two linebackers. That's a lot of the similar stuff. Um, he's a better recruiter than Roberts is. He's familiar with the SEC. He's been coaching the SEC for four years. He knows all the teams that you know that we're going to coach against. So, I think in that sense, it's an advantage. He's yeah. very familiar. You know, he's a good. Has familiarity with recruiting in Florida and Texas, obviously. Um, so that's who he is. So the the part I wanted to talk about next is I just wanted to take a minute. The the lead up to this DJ Durkin hiring thing and the, the immediate aftermath. This is something you and I do this on the podcast. We talk about stuff and we disagree about stuff and we sure. say what we want to say about stuff. And I feel like in this hiring process, there was a whole lot of Auburn fans, you know taking shots at each other about how they felt about this thing. And I feel like people are allowed to feel how they want to feel about stuff. Everything doesn't have to be some kind of loyalty test. No. Uh, and so I just, you know, uh, what do you think about this whole thing about it? And I think you kind of said your piece of there about it, but I just want to lay it out there. Yeah, no, I mean, all I know is what I've read and seen and what you've said. And, and I appreciate, yeah. by the way, you breaking it down for us. I, I mean, look, if if hiring somebody that's controversial for their recent past is a deal breaker for an Auburn fan, then there's not many coaches on our staff right now of any sport that they're going to be able to strongly support because, Bruce, like I said, Bruce caught a bunch of flack over, you know, we, we caught a bunch of flack over hiring Bruce. He was under show cause when we hired him. Uh, obviously, Hugh Freeze, we went through that whole ordeal. It was it was good to have to talk it out and everything, you know, and kind of figure out where we all stand. That's fine. And respect each other's views about it, you know, which we do. And this is just another. So, I mean, am, am I jumping over the moon for him? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen him coach enough. I don't have enough film, you know what I'm saying, in my brain. to. Have, am I outraged how dare we hire this guy? No, not really, because if the people that are making decisions at Auburn, if I trust them, and I do right now, then if they hire him and think he's the guy, then okay, let's give him a shot. If he goes out there and falls on his face, if he embarrasses Auburn, let's chuck him overboard. When has Auburn been reluctant to fire somebody, right? I mean, it's not like we're going to keep him around forever if he's embarrassing the school more more than just by being hired. 
I mean, to, to some people, us just hiring him is embarrassing the school. But they said that about Freeze. But they said that about Bruce. So, I mean, at this point, I'm just like, let's just see what happens. I'm tired of fighting the Civil War every time we decide to make a personnel move. I hear you. I mean, and I agree with you uh, about that. I, but I also think, like, was there somebody else who was an equivalent person who did not have the same baggage? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, was that why we waited on Kiffin so long, right? And did he not? I mean, I don't know. It would be weird to say we're hiring Kiffin a year after we got turned down by Kiffin. That's it odd. It would be weird. Yeah. I didn't know enough about him either, honestly. I mean, you know, so you tell me one of them's better than the other, I'm just going to say, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know either one of them well enough. I mean, I, I just don't know either one of them well enough to be able to take a strong stand, like a strong principled stand here or whatever. So, I don't know. But I think you made a very good point, though, about that we need to be able to disagree about things and have our very strong uh, feelings on these things and, uh, and, and, and then set it aside and move on, right? We're all Auburn fans for the most part, uh, if you're listening to this show, I imagine. And, um, you know, we, we don't have to agree on everything, and it's okay to disagree on stuff. It is, and I think I have to separate sometimes what people say on Twitter from, like, the real world because yeah. it's not the real world, it's you know? And, sure. and I think there's a lot of kind of uh, – well, I think there were people that had genuine feelings about how excited they were about Durkin or how much they unhappy they were with the Durkin hire. I also think there's a lot of – performative uh, views about things on that app. And so I need to not take it so seriously when I'm actually talking to real people about the real world. That's a good point. There's a lot of performative outrage and, and, and uh, yeah. Um, There's another term I'm looking for, but I can't think of it, but you all know what I'm talking about. Um, But no, I mean, I was seeing across like the Facebook Auburn groups too. And there's big groups on Facebook of Auburn people. And I'm not really active on there like I am on Twitter, but I occasionally look in and see stuff or post a podcast link there. And I was seeing that there were a number of people that seemed pretty happy with DJ Durkin. I mean, there were some, as you might expect, they're like, oh, it's the mm-hmm. end of the world. But there were some that are like, oh, this is a really good hire, right? This, is a, this guy is good. We're in good shape. We're in good hands. And I kind of took solace in that, that hopefully, hopefully they're right and the rest of it kind of slide away you know yes so i mean i, I in a technical sense what you know i always my standard for hiring people at, a, at an elementary level is can they do the job yeah and he can do the job all right this fall we're going to find out for sure because we need all the cylinders to be hitting you know for the for what's coming up we we have a chance to be something pretty decent i think this fall and hopefully we won't screw it up with the defensive line coach hire we hope hopefully we hadn't screwed it up with this hire hopefully right. we can find somebody that can throw the ball with these new receivers and we'll see or just run a lot of reverses i don't know oh, <laughs> we got a book update john um the 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 final nails are being hammered into the metaphorical deal but um it's looking like the book first time ever I, the, this, it's got the longest subtitle in, in history. It's how Auburn first brought undefeated Alabama to Jordan-Hare Stadium and beat them, right? Something along those lines. Yes. Okay. And um, it's going to be out available uh, the beginning of March, if not maybe before that. 
and John and I are going to be in Birmingham. It looks like Little Professor Bookstore in Homewood. I think that's their second expansion store in Homewood on Friday, March 8th in the afternoon. I can't remember the exact time. Um, I th- oh, I think we're going to be there at 5. I think we start at 5. We're probably there from like 5 to 7 or something like that. 5 to 6, 4 to some, somewhere around 5 o'clock, okay, on Friday. And um, I, from what I understand, and this is this is just throwing out idle chatter and speculation. I think they said they'll have like drinks and snacks available for people to come, and I think they're trying to get some Auburn person to come and us have a conversation with them for the crowd. Okay, the cool. Audience. Yeah. I'm up for that. And a, na- a name or two has been dropped, but I'm not going to say anything until we know for sure. So that would be pretty cool. So you you might want to put on your calendar, if you live around Birmingham, the Little Professor Bookstore in Homewood on Friday, March 8, around 5 o'clock, thereabouts. We will definitely be there. The books will definitely be there. We'll have first time ever and Auburn basketball from Barkley to Bruce. We'll have hardcovers. We'll have paperbacks. Uh, and maybe a conversation about the game, the first time ever Iron Bowl, maybe, and maybe a little bit about the basketball team. And um, then on Saturday, March 9th, uh, it looks like we're going to be, again, we're still nailing down the final details, but it looks like we will be at the Auburn Oil Booksellers, which I believe is on College Street, right, up near Timbers Corner. On Saturday afternoon, that is March 9th, Saturday afternoon from 1 to 430 before the Georgia game. So we'll be there pretty much in the afternoon leading up until we go over to the arena for the Georgia game. And um, I, I can't remember offhand if they said they were going to do anything particularly special. I think, they did, I think they just want us to be there maybe even out on the sidewalk, which might be nice if the weather is permitting. So I like it. Two kind of different events but on two different days, but we'll make our little tour, our little mini book tour of the southeast. That'll be nice, right? Come on by. Say hi, get your book signed, buy a book for somebody as a gift. Father's Day is coming. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's yeah. big. Yeah, and, and um, you know, get pick up a book, paperback or hardback if you want to. If you've already got one uh, by that point that's not signed, uh, we'll just bring it by and we'll sign it for you for whoever you want. If we signed it and you're like, well, now I want to give it to my brother or something, we'll sign it to your brother. All right, so that's... Um, and I don't think if you go and look at the website of those two bookstores, last time I checked, we were not on there, but at some point they're probably going to put us on there. Cause I think it's, I think the last thing we left it was it looks good. Everybody was happy. We just, you know, waiting to make sure everything's finalized. So, and the books are on their way. I, I, uh, last time I checked, there's a whole bunch of these books heading, heading down to the uh, bookstores. So they'll be, ha- they'll have them ready. All right. Uh, let's see. We got to thank the patrons. And we have a bunch of great patrons who keep this program going. A bunch of them were the ones that bought the early printing of the book back in November. So uh, if you happen to know (laughs) one of those folks, you can get an early look at it But uh, before you decide to come buy your own. Uh, But we did ship out quite a few copies of it. I think we shipped out like 150 copies of the book, of the new book, and a bunch of the older books during uh, November and December, which was awesome. Um... So the patrons keep our program going. These are folks who went to www.auwishbone.com, www.auwishbone.com. And 
that's they're the backbone of the show, the the AU Wishbone family, and that we thank them every episode. Pretty soon, they're going to get to participate in the NCAA tournament brackets. Pick them with us, so that'll be fun. That's coming up soon against us and Boris and Boris, a ruthless opponent, and uh, and Jared. Don't forget Jared, and um, and we've also got Fantasy Formula One rolling around again soon. I'm still mad about the whole Andretti thing, but other than that, uh, that'll be fun. So let me go ahead and thank the folks who are currently our patrons. They include... Tonight's forecast, a freeze is coming. With pearl white snow, and that would be Samuel Salvatore. Good old Samuel Salvatore. We also have to thank Carl Von Drunker, Chris and Clinton Stewart, Dr. Crackham, Logan... Chilton, he used to love when we would play to, for us to play Rule Britannia, but when he heard that Rule Britannia was gone, he said, No! 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 I'm devastated! This is what the Ole Miss fans were saying in the second half. Yep. Mostly KD. This is the word! Look at KD over there, John. No! That's it. That was us at, at Ole Miss on Wednesday. I mean, on Saturday. Yep, that's it. By the way, I, we were out late Saturday. We went out to dinner with uh, with my father-in-law and some and and my older daughter and everybody. And and we we um so we were out till really late. We got back home and we're watching that basketball game at like eleven thirty Saturday night. And we all stayed up for it. It was everybody's. A, my wife was just like a zombie trying to watch it, but we made it through it. So it was just too good to nice. look away. It was so good. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Ann Pridgen, Bill Weathers, Bradley Blackman, David W.D.E. Salmons Esquire, Earl Ricks, Eric Morgan, Gary Grant, A.K.A. A.U. Fan at KSC. If Carol Shelby would have seen Lane Kiffin on Saturday. He would have said... I don't speak Italian, but he ain't happy. Oh, I love it. Oh, Mark, you kill me with that. By the way, I got to see the new Ferrari movie. I saw Ford versus Ferrari, and I hear now Ferrari spun off into its own own movie, so I got to see that. I haven't seen it I've yet. not seen that either. Yeah. Uh, Matt Flowers, Michael Kirshner, Phil Amthor says... I'm just going to hit the highlight of it. That's good enough. Oh, my gosh. Richard Stevens, starting July 12th, uh, when Carol has a message for all the gamers on NCAA Football 24. I am the only daddy you got. I am the damn paterfamilias. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, Steve Travick, Susan Travick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, Alex Browns, Auburn Football's Elvis, Auburn makes offense look difficult. Well, he did. Uh, ben Bloodworth, Bleeds Orange and Blue. That's hard to say in back-to-back. Bob W.D. Samuels Esquire, S- a.k.a. 76 Tiger, Sleazy Shyster for... Jones, barbecue, foot, massage. Excuse me, did you call number 52? Did you hear me call number 52? Don't think so. Chad McDowell, Chris Hilton, Chris Thrash, Daniel Odom, Bobby. Guys, I'm worried. HR wants me to sign sign up for a 401k. There is no way I can run that far. That's good. Oh. That's good. I like that one a lot. That's good. I like the metric system figures into that one. That's kind of nice. 
Harry Zagger, H-Town Danny, In-Home Hugh, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Ringer for President. Man, you got supporters on here, John. Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Lane Middleton, Mickey B, Mr. F- oh, I always mess this up. <laughs> I always read the stage directions instead of just doing them. But that would be... Let's try a different one. Let's try... I'm afraid that my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. Oh, that's so good. You know, John... Yeah, that's that's a pretty bold statement. You know what I mean? It's, and it's factual. It's factual? Yeah, that's that's a pretty bold statement. You know what I mean? It's, and it's factual. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. No one fights like Gaston. Algo, Rhythm and Blues, Paul Miles, Rhodesian Mudflap. Still haven't tried a Rhodesian Mudflap. What do you suppose the proof is? Like 40 proof? 50 proof? More than 50 proof? I mean, it's got liquor in it, but it's a mixed drink, right? Yeah, so. yeah. That's 25% alcohol right there at 50 proof, so that's pretty hefty. Yeah, I don't think it's that much. I don't think it's that much either. Rich Reimer, Rusty Owen, Steve Harlan, Theodore Gary, Todd Robinson, Wade Ward, Walker White, QB1. Oh, let's blow it out. Freeze. Freeze. Ice. Freeze. Ice. Winter. Five. Frozen. Ice. Freeze. Winter. Ice. Ice. Freeze. Winter. Winter. Freeze. Cold. Frosty. WDE Richie Walker White for QB1. I hope so. We'll see. Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Winston Body, Auburn Blue, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger. Whoop. Brandon Smith, Charles Mooney, Corey Smyer, <clears throat> David D., David Simpson, First Sleaze, and now Durkin just hire Bryles as OC and be done with it. There is that line of thought. All right? I admit it. There is that line of thought. Josh Teal, Kevin Mahan, Luther and Kelly Ottaway, Mandy Thompson, Melissa Blackstone, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams. Uh, oh, <laughs> Patrick Williams says, Whether you like it or not, learn to love it because it's the best thing going today. Woo! <sighs> so good. Philip Martin, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Timothy, Tony Perry, Wiggle87, Woody the Jag, at the Mad Reaper Pepper Company on Instagram. A few more patrons left. Alex Wynn, AU Falling Up, Barls Charkley, Ben Amos, Ben Regis, Chris Como, Chris Braun, Clay Henson, Construction Tiger, Daniel Barnett, Darren Pyle, Elizabeth Donald, we uh, We gotta get better at celebrating. I am Tiger, Evil HR Director for... Joe's Barbecue and Foot Massage. I like that we had their entire personnel pretty much at that, at that <laughs> restaurant supporting our show. We had their lawyer. We had their HR director. We had just everybody, man. Fry cook somewhere in there. It's crazy. I'll buy this for a dollar. James Taylor, Jim McCrory, John Otsuki, Joey Miller, JT Jarhead, Justin Bean, Kenneth Brent Rain says the barbecue. You have failed me for the last time. A.K.A. Auburn for life. Mark Squire, MVP, captivating Kathy Bright. And instead of her sound clip this week, I'm going to say Kathy today watched Tombstone for the first time after several of us have been trying to get her to for a while. And as you might imagine, she loved it. Mission accomplished, John. Mission accomplished. Excellent. That's right. Hell's coming. <laughs> I mean, I know that I know that the that Val Kilmer's performance as Doc Holliday is iconic, and he has all the yeah. best lines in the movie. That's fine. He does. But the lines I always seem to enjoy are Wyatt's, right? Kurt Russell's. Hell's coming. 
and uh, skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. That's one of my favorite. The way he treats Billy Bob Thornton just puts me on the floor every time. And then Billy Bob goes and gets a shotgun and comes back to shoot him. And Doc's like, oh, hello there, you know, whatever, Billy Bob. Give me that gun. Here, let me take that away from you. Go go run on home now. And he goes home. That's the best thing. God, I love it so much. That's so good. It's so underrated. Uh, New York Tigers' favorite, Nix is Lloyd. Okay, that's cool. Um, well, there's also the new offensive coordinator. Um, no wonder we swept Ole Miss and Vandy since we have a broom. Ah! <laughs> Paul Banks and Rich Hammett, Royce Alvarez, Russell Souther, Ruth, and Darren Sutherland. Spanky, I'm at the bottom of this list because... Rock Wilson! While you can, monkey boy. Sports Illustrated's Auburn Elvis. There's the other Auburn Elvis. Stephen Thompson, Steve Bailey, the Slinko family, Tim Sauls, Trevor Johnson, Brent Rumble, plus our one-time anonymous donors. And we have quite a few free um, patrons now. I'm, I'm just not exactly sure what that entails, but we have a whole list now of free patrons. So... I'm not sure. How, I, I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad. The more the merrier, right? Sure. Uh, but they don't come up on this board, so they don't get thanked, and I don't, I don't know that they get sent invitations to stuff. But we certainly are glad to have you. I just and I plead ignorance. I didn't realize that was even a thing until now. So welcome, free patrons, and hope we're doing you right. I don't know. What else can I say? I don't know. I just don't know how it works. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, we did the thank the patrons, and now. Coming up, we have listener questions and around the SEC, but there's no guess the game this week because I never got an email from Jared. I think he's found something he needed to get done this week, maybe? Not sure. He'll let us know. But anyway, we have the worst coaches in the world. These are the ne'er-do-wells, scofflaws, and uh, peckerwoods who who together constitute... The worst coaches in the world. I only have two this week, John, but they're a couple of doozies. Number two, John Calipari. Kentucky brought well Kentucky welcomed Tennessee into Rupp Arena. And when I say Kentucky welcomed Tennessee in, I mean they rolled out the red carpet and let them hang 103 points on Kentucky. Now, is that the reason I have John Calipari listed as the worst coach in the world, just because he allowed Tennessee to drop 103 on Kentucky in Rupp Arena? No. After the game, he skipped out on the post-game interview. That would, on, in most weeks, that would be the worst coach in the world. But I have an even better suggestion this week. The gold medal this week goes to, we've already talked about him, and his brother, Lane Kiffin because he blatantly taunted Auburn before the basketball game on Saturday. He is so wrapped up in Auburn that, well, he he taunted us and then lost, which was sweet enough. But last week I saw a list on on Twitter of the 10 best Auburn Twitter accounts to follow, and he was in the top five. The Ole Miss head coach was in the top five Auburn Twitter accounts to follow just because he tweets about us so much. 
He is the definition of obsessed. Well, we have stolen his two best assistant coaches in the last few years. So. Oh, that's so good. I'm glad. Almost got his brother, too. Just cap it all off. Lane Kiffin, congratulations. You are this week's worst coach in the world. And before we go to make the, the most awkward transition in podcasting, I do want to say... If you have a suggestion for Guess the Game, please send it to Jared at the Yard Sale Artist on Twitter or Facebook. Excellent. Well said. And now, as John said, the most awkward transition in podcasting. Thank you. Order questions to the Prime Minister. It's time for listener questions. Dun, 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 on the AU Wishbone Podcast. Frosty! What do we got this week? All right, we got it. We have a few. Our first one's from Jim McCrory. Yes, Jim Back comes through. For Jim comes through with Auburn stuff book. every time. Yes, this is great stuff. Jim says, "Did you know that Auburn was the first college in a southern state that was not the state university to become a land grant college? This was thanks, in large measure, to a fellow named Sheldon Toomer, who did some excellent ah. political maneuvering to make it happen. Does that name sound familiar?" Alabama assumed they would get the land grant designation and were very angry when it did not happen. Therein lays much of the start of the animosity mm. Alabama's always had for Auburn. Isn't it funny that they wanted to be the Cow College? Wow. Wow. See, now this is one thing that we missed in the book, and I didn't want the book to be so much about the 1920s and 30s and 40s and whatever, and before that, but... Um, but we do talk in the in the first time ever book about things like Alabama tried to take Auburn over and it was like the the New Deal, you know, that saved us in the 30s. You know, the idea of all this federal money come chugging into the pipeline that kept Auburn afloat there for a little while. I, there's a great quote. I think he quotes Faulkner, maybe. Um, I mean, I quote somebody quoting Faulkner saying something like, before the Civil War, the main Southern finance was cotton after the civil war it was the federal government which is a kind of, probably to this day honestly to certain in a lot if you include the military right and the military bases and everything very might very well be so i'm i'm glad that jim uh it was jim mccroy right i'm, I'm glad he uh he brought that to our attention because i did miss that in the research and that's really good that is good all right our next email was from uh, kato who's not happy about our defensive coordinator hire Oh boy. And this is what he says. He says, oh Hey, fellas, uh, DJ Durkin. Hmm. Uh, yet, this is what he says. Yet another man of outstanding moral character on our staff. I see a lot of Auburn fans going with the independent commission found that Maryland was non-toxic narrative for their defense of hiring him. I just wanted to break that report down real quick for people who didn't read past the headline. Hmm. The, the report said it did not find a toxic culture at Maryland football, but then it went, <clears throat> went into 200 pages of details that sound super toxic. <laughs> the report details the strength and conditioning coach Rick Court, a man who was so close to Durkin that players, quote, viewed them as the same person, would bully players on a daily basis. He goes on to say, my favorite line of the report occurs near the beginning when it says, the commission found that the Maryland football team did not have a toxic culture, but it did have a culture where problems festered because too many players feared speaking out. Too many Auburn fans 
are trying to pin all this in court and say that Durkin was just a good old fella, first-time head coach who was naive enough to not recognize the problems going on in his organization. Um, all I could say is follow the investigation when it was announced that the suspension of court would be maintained. Durkin be reinstated. Multiple players got up and discussed and left the meeting. Um, th- so he says, thanks, Cato. Uh, thanks, Cato. So. Mm, right. No, well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, that's certainly disturbing and troubling. And I'm I'm not trying to sweep anything under the rug. I'm just saying I, I'm pleading ignorance. I don't know. All I can do is take everything in and, and you know see how it plays out. That's it. I don't know what else to do. All right. And our next email is from Samuel Salvatore, who says, Hello, guys at War Eagle. They say we didn't have a quad one win. Well, how about after that awesome <laughs> game in the second half? War yes, Eagle. yes, we do now. Oh, we need to explain that, by the way. Is that all, Sam? Yeah. All right. I, I need to explain that because I didn't understand it in, exactly until recently, and I want to make sure everybody else does. Um, I kept thinking, well, if we've already beaten them once, then how was that not a quad one win and this is? And the answer is that there are different criteria for how you judge a win, whether it's at home or on the road. Beating Ole Miss in Auburn was only a quad two win. Beating them in Ole Miss raised it up high enough to be a quad one win. I didn't realize there was like a sliding scale, not only depending on who you play, but where you play them. But it, it matters a good bit, right? So so they they take they take uh, home court advantage very seriously when they do these uh, these basketball you know rating type things. So there yeah, you go. This is the, the the quad one, quad two, quad three, quad four games are on the little sheets that the NCAA tournament gets to evaluate teams for the NCAA tournament. Uh, the selection committee uses a quad one win is a home game versus a team that's in the top thirty in the RPI power ranking. A neutral site game that's of teams from one to fifty, or away games one to seventy-five. So Ole Miss is in yeah. the top seventy-five. Appalachian State is almost in the one top seventy-five, and a lot of the other away games we're going to play meet that criteria. So it, yeah. So that's how you can you can beat a team in one place, and it doesn't count the same way as when you beat them in another. That's a. I think that's a really interesting way to approach it, and I hadn't. I hadn't realized they did it that way until this week because I kept thinking, well, we, but we've beaten them before. Why does it count now? And it didn't count before, but now we know. So That's it. Now we know the rest of the story. All right. The next email is from Bill Miner, who says uh, the subject is basketball oddity. And he says, guys, Auburn last beat Florida in Gainesville in men's basketball oh in 1996, Good which was gosh. year two of the Cliff Ellis tenure. Good and we gosh. have been a number one seed. Won the SEC regular season a couple times, won the SEC tournament once, and even made a Final Four more recently than that. Obviously, they've typically had the better team in that time frame, but it is still bizarre. Mm -hmm. Are there any other Auburn basketball oddities along those lines that amaze you to this day? Not like that. That's the one to me. Not like that. I mean, winning in Rupp is hard, and there's been some wide variety of teams that did that. Right, right. That's not. Th- this is just bizarre because Florida has had some good teams, but Florida hasn't been like North Carolina every year. They've been. There have been years that we should have beaten them there, and we didn't. Yeah. Several several times, including I was it last year, year before last. We had a really good team that went down there and lost either last year, year yes. before last. The Jabari team went down there and lost. Okay, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And now here we go again. Um, so, oh boy. 
right. Our next email is from Josh Corbett, who says, John, Van, and Boris. I hope y'all have had a good week. I don't know if y'all have been following the lawsuits against the NCA, but it's interesting. And I believe this is the tipping point in college athletics. A lot of writers mm. are predicting the legal system will grant a temporary restraining order that will basically eliminate all the rules around NIL that the NCAA have set forth. This will truly turn NIL into a recruiting mechanism, and it'll be a bidding war for the nation's top prospects. My question for the show is, how do you think that impacts Auburn with respect to recruiting? Mm -hmm. And do we have the money and backing to recruit like this? War Eagle, and let's beat Bama on Wednesday. Thank you, Josh Corbett. Amen to that. That's really great questions, and and I do. I've I've been encouraged over the last couple of years to um, to think that to see that we do seem to have the wherewithal to compete like that. I do think it's interesting that as soon as something comes along, like players can be can get recompensation for you know the NIL stuff, immediately the NCAA comes in and says, all right, well, if you're going to put a gun to our head and twist our arm and force us to allow this, we're still going to come up with a whole bunch of crazy rules to, to try to control it and to jump on people. And I don't, and I agree. I agree with these colleges that I think that they're, I think that they've, the, the hole's been knocked in the boat and the NCAA is still trying to bail. And I think the boat is I don't. I'm, I don't know if it's the metaphor we want, but I think the boat's going under, and they're still thinking they can bail it with a teacup. I, well, I mean, the, the first the NCA is the colleges, right? It's a mm. member. They vote on the stuff, the rules. Yeah, and all that. but I, I know. The, but but and but they as a group and the NCA as a body was not proactive. This right. everybody can see this coming a hundred miles away. For sure, they should have passed rules about this ten years ago, and they mm. could have had some strict you know, more comprehensive rules. And then instead they let the courts get ahead of them. They let the state legislatures get ahead of them. And now it's the wild West, but mm -hmm. now they're trying to go back and hit, and we're going to talk about, I was going to talk about this around the sec, but they're going to, they're trying to go back and bust schools for violating the NCAA rules about NILs in that first year when it was, everybody was trying to figure it out. And the schools that were more aggressive are getting NCAA investigations against them. And that's what's led to that Tennessee lawsuit. So Yeah, and Tennessee told them, go jump, basically. And, yeah. and honestly, most years I would be against Tennessee. But again, with the way this is playing out, I'm kind of oh. like, I'm kind of like, yeah. No, they, Tennessee was pushing the envelope. But they were pushing the envelope in areas where it was very gray and coming back now and mm -hmm. clamping down on stuff for that is 100% legal now because it wasn't letter legal in the, you know, the, the, letter the fine print of the yeah. law back then. The letter of the law right. back then is, is a little bit much. Yeah. And, and they could bust a whole bunch of schools for this. So, right. uh, you know, I'm, I, now – the state of Tennessee and the state of the Commonwealth of Virginia are both suing the NCA over this stuff, and I think the NCA is in trouble in that department. Yeah, well, I, I mean, other than Alabama, I tend to root for the schools in this thing because we can say all day that the NCAA is the schools, but. There's plenty of times that the NCAA almost becomes a rogue sub-organization separate from the schools that does things the way they want to do and not the way the schools in mass really want to do things. And so it's kind of gratifying to me when somebody does, doesn't just meekly roll over and say, you know, may I have another, but instead says, hey, 
this isn't right, and we're going to stand up for for what's right. So God bless them. Good for them. You know. No, that's right. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah. All right. And I'll ask, uh, we got a message from, we did get a message from Jared the other night about the basketball game. He said, when Katie Johnson got mm-hmm. that technical foul at the end of the Ole Miss game, I immediately thought of you in the basketball bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> the Boris bingo card. Yes. The B-O-R-I-S. That's it. That's it. I, I, I love it. That was, uh, that was great. So I, yeah, we had it out. We actually had it out for the game the other night during the, um, did, did anybody win? I don't remember if we ever. I don't think we finished out the whole thing through. There was some stuff on there that is just stuff that happens. I don't have it with me right now. We'll have. To, I'll talk about it next week. I'll bring it down here next okay. week or print it out. All right. Um, is that the last listener question? That's it for listener questions. I think we've kind of gone through, but let's fire up the Albion Mobile just to make sure, and then we'll wrap things up for tonight. What are we gonna do, Mira? Let's take a trip around the SEC. Sounds like a plan. All right, so um, we talked about the uh, the NCAA in Tennessee. Um, I do want to hear about this advisory committee. If you haven't already, and I didn't, and I blanked out on it, but what's going on with Alabama's offensive coordinator already? <laughs> so there's a rumor. There was a rumor that he was going to be the Seahawks offensive coordinator. I I don't think that's going to happen now. But that was a day or two ago that was looking like it was going to happen in that direction. I would have been, I would have laughed so hard because oh, yeah. he is the secret sauce, I think, for them on offense. And then Kentucky's offensive coordinator did leave for an NFL job, Liam Cohen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned it the SEC and the Big Ten together have formed an advisory committee hmm. to basically coordinate with each other and work on these issues like the NIL stuff from the NCAA or other things that concern them as a, mm. as a pair of power conferences. They're mm. going to come with the advice. And so some people are, see this as the, you know, the future, the, the beginning of the super league and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's their, we are the here it comes. The Champions League is coming. Champions they view themselves, as, and rightly so, as kind of the two big leagues, and they're going to work together to make sure that the rules and the structure of college sports be- continue to benefit them. I was going to say, not are obeyed, but continue to benefit them. That's the classic. That's so good. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, not a really surprise at all. Um and you'll notice it's the SEC and the Big Ten. They're not the ACC. It's not the Big 12. It's not the Pac-2. It's the, it's the two that are basically the AFC and the NFC now. I guess That's it. I feel like, at least in terms of geography and everything, the Big Ten is the NFC and the SEC is the AFC. But in terms of success, it's kind of probably the other way around because usually the NFC has been stronger historically, right? I think probably more often yes. than not. So. All right. Well, that's that. So any final thoughts for tonight before we wrap it up? I know there's a big thought for Wednesday. Uh, That's the thought. Yes. Let's go beat Alabama. Beat Alabama. We owe them. Because Alabama's Alabama, and as far as Auburn goes... Whether you like it or not, learn to love it, because it's the best thing going today. Woo! All right, we're going to wrap it up there. Let's have fun on Wednesday, on Wednesday uh, night. Let's get the job done. Our time is up. We thank you for yours. 
let's get to this time. Our time is up. Thank you for your support. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to the AU Wishbone. Find links to everything we do at www.auwishbone.com. For more Auburn fun, join us on Twitter at auwishbone and at facebook.com slash auwishbone. War Eagle. The AU Wishbone is produced by Van Allen Plexico and John Ringer. Copyright 2020. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production. Thank you for listening to the AU Wishbone Podcast.